Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word program on 3CR. My name is Brendan Bonsack, and on this morning's program we'll be hearing from Morgane van Wingerden, who is one quarter of the Australian Slam team being sent to compete in the National Poetry Slam in Chicago this year. And just a note before we begin the show, there is some strong language today and references to family violence. My great-grandmother, standing tall in a pantsuit and what looks like an akubra, they called you Big Red. I have it on good authority that you were a decent grandparent, but you were a god-awful mother. You raised your eldest daughter to be your slave. She was to care for you in your old age. You showered gifts on your younger children while she may do with handkerchiefs and socks. One year, in an astounding fit of generosity, you gave her a doll for Christmas. Her asshole brother cut it to pieces and you beat her because she cried. My grandmother. Cigarette perched perpetually between your pursed lips. You tickled pokey machines for luck while you slugged back another schooner, and I thought it was the funniest thing. When you called me a cunt, I was only a child, playing cards, and you kept changing the game depending on the hand you got dealt. Your brain was fried. You must have been hypoxic, lung cancer, an oxygen tank, and you were still puffing away. You told your daughter, at twelve years old, if you ever find a man, hold on tight. Cause you sure ain't pretty, and you're none too bright. She wasn't even 18 yet, still hobbling with a cane. She lost her kneecap when that car flipped, and you gave her a one-way ticket to Sydney. Threw away everything she couldn't carry with her. Made sure she knew she could never go home. My mother. Fingers twirling, twiddling, rolling the next cigarette or joint. Thirty years ago, you watched a punk band in Newtown. The lead singer caught your eye. You saw him later hunched over the bar alone, and you thought, that is a wrong that I must right. You sidled up to him, said, g'day, handsome. Can I buy you a beer? A few years later, and you're stuck in fucking Perth. Two babies you can't afford and a marriage you can't endure. The first time that you left him, I wasn't old enough to remember what you looked like together. You thought that move across the Nullarbor would fix things, but he broke a broom across your back. He followed you into the toilet because he wasn't done speaking yet. I was ten years old when you left him for good, and I felt nothing but relief. And it was hard to watch my father cry, but I knew that you were right. There was not a doubt in my mind. I remember your depression. It hung heavy in our home. Face drawn, tears streaming, you were working three jobs. You held your hands out to charity, they gave you a second-hand fridge and a pantry full of food. And I was stoked, because they gave us sausage rolls. You told me later that at the time, you thought our world would be better off without you in it. You had a plan. You were going to drive your car off the side of the cliff. No one would have to live with the guilt of your death. You thought somehow that would be easier to clean up. And my heart broke at what we almost lost. 
Even at your darkest, we always knew that we were loved. You have survived horrors that are not mine to tell. And I think there's still some part of you that thinks because that counselor said she couldn't help you anymore, it meant that you were broken beyond repair. But I see you. You're singing honky-tonk and Tracy Chapman. You're dancing from the hips, your fingers stained with charcoal paint and pencil lead. You are the greatest woman I have ever known. You raised me on feminism because you knew that those men who take and take and keep taking have no fucking right. You raised me without a god because you knew my place as a woman was not to submit. You gave me way too much for Christmas. And I just wanted you to know, at the risk of sounding trite, you're what I want to be when I grow up. That's a powerful piece, and I've heard many powerful pieces from you. What inspired you to begin to write? Um, I started writing really bad teenage poetry from about the age of 13, but um, I started doing performance stuff just last year at Baruso. Um, a friend of mine kind of dared me to get up, and so I ended up just reading this piece that I'd written to my partner and got a really beautiful response, and that just inspired me to start writing again. I, I don't think I'd written anything for five years, and all of a sudden I was just writing every other day something new, and it was... Yeah, really exciting, and I've just been doing a lot of open mics since then and getting this really positive feedback, so I just keep going. And that piece you did there, what's that titled? Mother. It's very emotional hearing it for an audience. Did you go through all those emotions while you were writing it? I was bawling my eyes out writing it. I was uh, a total wreck writing it, and it was only from repeating it about 10,000 times that I was able to say it without crying. I think that's a, a huge part of why I enjoy writing is because it allows me to face things that I, I've been avoiding for years and years and years, like just actually facing reality and things are sometimes just not as okay as I've kind of pretended that they are in my head. I, I never actually trusted that I was a writer until I got that really nice response from the open mic. Like I was, I was looking around like, what do I actually want to write about? And the first thing that I wanted to write about was my mother. She was obviously very important to you when you were growing up. Yeah, she still is. <laughs> She's still one of the most inspiring and influential people in my life. It's... Does she hear all your poetry? Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I read it to her, she said, you make me sound so strong. It's like, you, you are. <laughs> like, it's, like, how you still don't believe that is um, it's baffling. When you're, you know, you're struggling with anxiety and depression your whole life, then, of course, you're questioning everything, like... Any failing is your own, any success is an accident. Like, that's, that's just the mindset. Do you feel like it's, uh, it's more gain when you're on stage or do you adopt a persona? Day to day around people, like any kind of crowd, I'm usually quite awkward because um, I have quite severe social anxiety. So it, it's, it's very hard for me to make small talk with strangers it's, or people that I kind of just kind of know. Um, but when I'm on stage, I'm much more confident. And I think that's because I'm putting on... I'm, I'm doing a performance, it's not... And I think a part of the reason why I'm, I'm putting on an accent, but even if it's not consciously, is to distance myself. Like, so it's not me that's up there. Because I used to do theatre um, for years and I, I was fine on the stage with theatre because you're playing someone else, it's not yourself. So any faults of that character, they're not your own, so it's okay. And it's, I think a part of that comes into it when I'm 
performing, even though I'm telling deeply personal stories. And that's probably something I need to work on um, because, you know, you want to be as genuine as you can. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. You're listening to 3CR Spoken Word, and I'm speaking with Morgane Van Wingerden, who is quarter of Team Slammer, representing Australia in the National Poetry Slam in Chicago this year. Uh, for listeners who are not aware, Slammer Lama Ding Dong is a regular poetry gig at the Melba Spiegel Tent in Collingwood every fourth Thursday of the month. It's a competitive slam event which follows the National Poetry Slam rules, and uh, anyone can compete, and they are judged by randomly chosen people in the audience. I didn't enter my first slam until April this year, and I came second, which was really surprising. Like I, was, I went in there with the mindset of, if I make it through to the second round, then that's good enough. You know, like, that's, that's fine. And you're through to the third round. What the? Like, <laughs> like, it was this really exciting, surprising. And then getting invited to, to do the Grand Slam as well. Like, oh, what? Like, I, it felt like, like there's this, again, it's that whole thing of this is an accident. It's not, it's not based on actual merit. It's everything that's happening to me is by accident. I think you're a deserving winner of that particular position. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very different from Bar Usu, the format. Yeah, very different because it's competitive. It's not, you're not just, like, I mean, I really, really love that bar so feeling because everyone's welcome and it's there and you can share any story and and you'll be heard and they're like, they're really there for you and it's a really awesome environment. I love it. But when you, you're in Slam, it's it's this whole other edge to it, like, <laughs> where it's like, okay, was my piece better than that one? So like, it's, it's really, you start getting a little bit harsher with your on yourself as well like like you can't just say the words you've got to actually perform it if you want to get them on your side and get that score to creep up a bit would you say it uh it helps with your discipline as a performer i guess so i guess it's just helped me with the the performance and and being able to see where lines aren't necessary like because a lot of the stuff that i've i've done for slammer has been stuff that i'd written previously that had gone for five minutes or whatever and i'm okay you still cut two minutes out of it and it still manages to tell the same story Sleepwalking through the all-night drugstore Baptized in fluorescent light I found religion in the greeting card aisle And now I know Hallmark was right And every pop song on the radio Is suddenly speaking to me Yeah, art may imitate life But life imitates TV You've been gone exactly two weeks Two weeks and three days And let's just say that things look different now Different in so many ways Cause I used to be a superhero No one could touch me And not even myself And you were like a phone booth That I somehow stumbled into Now look at me I am just like everybody Everybody. If I was dressed in my best defensive, would you agree to meet me for coffee? If 
I did my tricks with smoke and mirrors Would you still know which one was me? If I was naked and screaming on your front lawn Would you turn on the light and come down? Screaming there's the asshole who did this to me Strip me of my power Strip me down Cause I used to be a superhero I would sit down and, and save me from myself And you were like a phone booth That I somehow stumbled into And now look at me I am just like everybody else yeah, I am just like everybody That was Annie DeFranco with Superhero. Welcome to my generation, wrapped in precious bubbles of self-satisfaction, dancing in the echo chambers of piss-weak philosophy and self-congratulation. You are beautiful and strong and worthy of love, don't question it, you're flawless. This is a generation raised on bullshit, beautiful lies. Like the world is your oyster, look to the power of you, you can do anything. Childlike, we look up to our parents and wonder, is this what they wanted to be? Responsible for a bad debt and a sick dog? Driving a second-hand Honda with a grinding first gear? Suspicious mold stain on the bathroom ceiling that they can't quite reach? Living under a government running literal gulags off of our shores, seemingly willing to follow Trump into nuclear war? This world isn't yours for the taking. It's already been taken out of your grasp and there's no getting it back. Looking into that sea of snarling faces, waving confederate flags, preaching hate and holy shit. Those guys are your age. Can't blame old white men for all the world's ills. The young ones are literally taking the torch and marching with it. And if white guilt could choke you, you'd be a nasty shade of blue. You can try just getting laid to solve all your problems, but people always want too much or too little. Nice guys sitting at the back of the bar feeling bitter, relegated to the male-only friend zone, as if only a man had ever faced rejection, as if his kindness was an investment waiting on a return, as if a woman's body is a commodity only worth a vodka tonic and a compliment. Fair is fair, woman. Pay up. And the drugs don't work. Uppers, downers, smoke, haze, booze, brain, rub it on your gums, mate. All it ever gave you was a headache. So decide once and for all that none of it matters, none of it ever did. Destroy the mirror and embrace your broken knuckles. Delight in your rage and underwhelming potential. Death stare your neighbor, they're spoiling for a fight. Fall to your knees in front of a god in which you don't believe, begging, pleading, praying, bring on Armageddon, man, I'm waiting. Masturbate wildly in public toilets and think of Bukowski when you finish. Neglect your hygiene. Wallow in a pit of intense self-loathing in awe of how well you feel it all. Scoff at employment. Risk your genitals on dangerous sex and raise your cask wine in a toast to the poor fucks who come next. <laughs> Were you always cynical or has it sort of grown? It's grown. 
I, to the point where I like I used to be really idealistic and like I'm I'm very much left wing, but I got accused of being right wing like a little while ago because I I could understand why people voted for Trump because if you keep calling them racists and misogynists, they're not going to come to your side. You can't just keep calling names and and hope that the world changes. It's, it doesn't work, and you can't just be self righteous about everything. Even even if even if the core beliefs that you hold are right, it, it's not going to work. So do you think there is hope? Where would you find it? I don't know how to answer that. I, I don't. Um, I think there's always been people that are too loud to hear anyone else speak, but it seems to be getting worse. Now you're going to America soon. I am, and that I'm excited about. <laughs> <laughs> Very soon. Have you packed? No. Um, I've got half a suitcase full of possible outfits for when I'm on the stage, but that's about it. So how does it work? You're going over as a team. What does a slam team do? So um, I'm not sure how many teams there are. There's 70 or 80 teams from around America and Canada, and we're the only Australian team going. And we can put up individual pieces or we can put up team pieces. And it's up to random members of the audience to kind of vote on whether we're decent or not. So uh, the slam in America is the same as here, where the judges are just people in the audience yeah because it has to be it has to be you can't have people that are poets or that are part of the whole thing because then it skews the results it has to be 100 percent democratic but what do you feel about that there's definite benefits to it because like if you've got people that are, are already fans of someone that's competing then that's going to skew their result even if that person's not doing their best but at the same time a lot of the time they're not poets themselves they don't they're not really judging it based on the quality of the writing or the performance they're basing it on. I really like the idea that this person's talking about, so I'm going to give them a high score because I agree with them. So it can be a popularity contest. So if you're talking about something that's just really popular in the in the mindset of people at that time, then you've got an edge. I've been on YouTube quite a bit in the last little while, just seeing what the American groups do. There's a lot of talking in unison and shouting. Like that, like it seems to be a thing where you don't trust that what you're saying will be heard unless you're shouting it at people. Is that what we can expect from the Australian slam team? No. We're telling uniquely Australian stories. So we're bring, we are bringing new stories into this huge event where I think a lot of the same stories have been being told. Um, so, and because this is only the second time that there's been a team from Melbourne going. So we're not expecting to be able to just blow them all away and win the bloody thing. Like, it's not going to happen. It is quite a range, isn't it? You've got Noor, Tim, Z. Yeah. And yourself yeah yeah it's a, it's quite a diverse team yeah. it's, it's really good I think everyone on the team and, and the judges as well they're all very open with their feedback so you're not just sitting there going hoping that they're, they're not just nodding along to be polite like they'll tell you if something's not working so I think that's that's really helpful especially because I, I don't have a huge amount of experience with this stuff I've only been doing it for a year so getting that feedback is really important if I don't want to make an ass of myself on a stage. Because in America, they hiss if they don't like you. They, they are not as polite. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. You bought discount takeaway from the food hall, and I watched you eat it in the park at night while it was raining. But it wasn't real rain, though, just that drizzle that leaves you cold and damp and wanting to be anywhere but here. But you look like James Franco, so I let it slide. Then later you kissed me while I was at work, but it was awkward, because I forgot to brush my teeth that morning, so I couldn't really give it my all. 
and then there was you, the man from the mountain. You stood me up twice before deigning to visit. We got naked and it was fun, but then later, things happened that I really didn't want. And all these years on, you probably don't even remember my name, but I still daydream about seeing you again. About taking this simmering rage that I can't let go of, lifting off the crushing weight of intense self-loathing I do not deserve, fashion it into a steel cap and take my booted foot and shove it right where. I stopped working in bars and started working in hospitals. I thought, your kind don't come around here. But you asked me out in front of other nurses and I didn't really want to, but I said yes anyway. We went out for drinks and without even the barest of getting to know yous, you said to me, a grown-ass woman, you're a good girl, aren't you? And if flesh could crawl, it would drop right off the frame and melt into the floor just to get away from. And despite my protestations and emphatic exclamations that I do not want this, you kept calling and texting and calling and texting, and I wanted to tell you to just fuck off, but I'm too goddamn polite. And then there was the bodybuilder, built like a brick shithouse, muscles like a motherfucker. You should have been sexy, but I couldn't stop laughing. You kept posing. I told you it had to end, I just found the love of my life, and you said, don't worry. We can keep doing this. You wanted me on my knees, in awe at your glory. You were so infatuated with your body, how could I not be? And this is not to say that everyone that left an impression left a bad one. Some of you were nice. Some of you were nothing. And I know I'm just as guilty of disrespect and disregard, and I wanted to write you all a verse about how I did you wrong but it really was just nothing, except for you. I knew you wanted more before I ever used you, and I am such a piece of shit, and I am so, so sorry. So this is just for the ones who tried to take what I didn't want to give. The ones I'd like to forget, but I don't think I can forgive. I'd like to try my hand at indifference and wish you all the best, but it doesn't feel quite right yet. So for now, I'll leave you with my vitriol, my bitterness and regret. Fuck you very much. I wish we never met. You are cynical, aren't you? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the true dating history? Oh. Yeah. It started out as um, I wanted to just write something about all this, just like what the hell moments when you're dating, because um, people do some weird things, but it ended up just getting a little bit more... Like, actually, no, that, that behavior was not okay. <laughs> and started getting a little bit angrier with it. Do you think it's hard for young people these days, dating? Yeah, of course it is. Mm. I think especially with Tinder where it's, it's, all, it's all become so casual, like it's, you're not genuinely engaging with people before you're dating them. And, and this is one of the things like, that inspired the writing of that was that feeling of, of not being treated as a, like I'm not actually a human being to these people. I'm just an opportunity. Like it's, and it's, it's vile particularly from a woman's perspective, it's always been unsafe to date. It just, it just is by nature because you, especially when you don't already know the person well enough or you don't have a lot of like mutual acquaintances or, or whatever that can hold that person to account. And then you're meeting someone through an app now 
and hoping, just hoping that they're not a predator. Like every single woman that talks to me about their Tinder experiences seems to have horror stories. Women are supposedly safer now than they ever were in history because we've got more of a voice. Like we're, we're, we're much more vocal and we're much more seen and heard and it's still terrifying. It still hasn't changed. So, I mean, imagine going through this shit 50 years ago where you would not even be heard when you, you talk about someone being a predator. It's, it's an ongoing, horrifying reality. Well, and the thing that's never gone away is um, violence within the home. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a very common thing where we, we tell, you know, we assume that women in violent relationships should just leave. It puts all of this blame on those women for staying, but, I mean, in reality, they're never more in danger than when they leave. And what do you think needs to happen? I'm, I've been thinking about this quite a lot, um, mainly because I've been kind of just, like, facing the reality that there was violence growing up and that... And the, the way that I respond to certain situations where I'm on this, like, hyperactive kind of threat. And I, I don't think that the, that the way to fix it is to then go, well, anyone who perpetrates violence against women is a monster and should be demonised and, and all of these things because it, it's, it doesn't actually stop it from happening. Um, and it further marginalises those women that are trying to help. They're, like Because oft, often they still do love these men, even when these things are happening. I think so challenging our ideas of what a man's role in society is. A huge part of, of why some women don't, don't talk about it is because they believe somehow that this treatment, they, that they deserved it, or that they did something, they triggered it, or whatever it was, and it's never, it never is. Anyone who's got a story to tell, would you recommend they get up on a stage? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's the, it is the best feeling. It's incredibly empowering and it's this this feeling like you you weren't alone in that like and and even if your story isn't like some huge story of being marginalized or or being a victim or or whatever it is like any kind of story you've got to tell people are gonna feel it like they're and they want to hear it and the more voices we have the better thank you very much for coming in today morgan thank you so much well, that's all we have time for on the 3CR Spoken Word program. If any of the things we've been talking about today have raised concerns with you, the Women's Information and Referral Exchange offers many support options, including a phone number, 1300 134 130, or visit their website, www.wire.org.au. The 2018 National Poetry Slam takes place in Chicago, Illinois, from August 13 to August 18, and we wish our Australian team all the very best. You can chip in to help fund their trip at www.gofundme.com slash teamslammer, S-L-A-M-A. For more information on all the poetry happenings in Melbourne, visit www.melbournespokenword.com. 3CR Spoken Word is broadcast every Thursday at 9am or streamed online via www.3cr.org.au. And while you're there, why not donate to help keep community radio afloat? I'm Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening.